Welcome. This is Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Well, the bleachers have been closed for a while, and a lot of you may assume that uh, the government has stepped in and shut us down for various reasons, but I, I am perfectly confident in the fact that at this moment that myself, Jeff Blum, and David Tuttle are SARS-free. We are H1N1-free. We are bird flu-free. And as far as I can tell, I think that we are coronavirus-free as of this given moment. And Bleacher Blums is back on. We took a bit of a hiatus. I will let uh, David Tuttle fill you in with more information if he wants to. But uh, we have been working through a process because he, he's become a little bit more popular since he's been on this podcast. But David Tuttle, good to have you on. You're sitting in your vehicle, man. How are things going out there on the West Coast? Great. We got a little bit of rain. And uh, as you said, we are SARS-free, bird flu-free, H1N1 free, and coronavirus-free at this point. And uh, that pumps me up. Um, I do have a real job. I was working from home, and now I actually have to go into the office, which is, uh, you know, aside from trying to dodge the coronavirus, uh, one of the reasons why we haven't put out a podcast in just short of two weeks. So we apologize to all the Bleacher Blums fans and listeners, and uh, hopefully you guys can stick with us because we realize how important it is, not just to you guys, but to us to get out a uh, to get out a podcast on a regular basis. And so that's what we're going to try and do. So, um, you know, if there's some technical difficulties, bear with us, but we're uh, we're working through uh, some new challenges and new frontiers, but we're super excited to be here. Always excited to be here. And of course, we are put on here because we've got some pretty good sponsors and the more consistent ones are obviously St. Arnold Brewing right here in Houston, who I've been able to work with over the last couple of years. They have been fantastic to us and we are actually setting up a couple of events. And I believe the first one is going to be in mid to late March when I go over to the Flying Saucer downtown, which is a great little place to go show up. They've got plenty of brews on tap and obviously they have St. Arnold's on tap and I will be there. We are going to start another series of talking baseball with Blummer via St. Arnold's. You have to drink St. Arnold's because I'm drinking St. Arnold's because it's the best beer in the state of Texas. I know a lot of you are going to argue with me on that, but obviously I have a little bit of a kinship with them and I appreciate everything they've done for me and my family. It's been an absolute blast working with them and they put on a pretty good show and they allow me the opportunity to go out into the city and connect with people and have a couple of brews at the same time, which obviously open up things a little bit for good conversation, some good questions. So make sure you stay tuned to my Instagram at Blum. 27 to see when those updates are and when I will be at the Flying Saucer. You can also follow follow at St. Arnold Brewing Company to figure out what uh, is going on with them because they are much better at getting that information out. But of course, on a nightly basis, I'm either enjoying an art car IPA or a lawnmower, depending on what I'm barbecuing at any given time. So we want to appreciate St. Arnold. The oldest craft brewery right there in Texas is right there in Houston. So we appreciate them being on board. And with that being said, we're going to move forward. We're going to hit a couple of highlights. I know we're probably not going to hit the mailbag because this is going to be a little bit more of a condensed version of Bleacher Blums, just trying to get some information out there, trying to get to the fans out there because we miss you as much as you miss us. And we have created so much good momentum because everybody has been subscribing. They've been downloading. They've been listening. And obviously the controversy has died down a little bit. 
The sign stealing has kind of gone by the wayside with all the coronavirus issues. I'm not sure if you saw this, Tuttle, but I received an email the other day that said that there will no, there will no longer be, for the time being, until this virus goes away, any media in the clubhouse. So we will not have access to go in the clubhouse and, and get near these guys. It may go a little bit further than that once the season starts, but... There's a couple of things that are very interesting about this aspect of baseball. I'm sure that right now there is no other team in all of baseball that is more grateful for the opportunity not to have media in the clubhouse than the Houston Astros. The second place team might be the Boston Red Sox because with this happening and with this uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, not allowing media into the clubhouse for interviews before or after games, it uh, has delayed, I believe, the the Boston Red Sox consequences. I think that now there's more of a focus from MLB to get onto the coronavirus issue as opposed to the the uh, Boston Red Sox and further penalties for them. But uh, it's going to create a little bit of an issue for our, our own Julia Morales, our sideline reporter, getting in there and getting some post-game sound moving forward, which I find really interesting. But wouldn't you love to be an Astro right now, Tuttle, and know that with all this controversy going on that you don't have to deal with the media if you don't want to? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think what you're doing is you're forwarding a conspiracy theory here is what you're doing. Uh, Me? Right? Come I mean, on. Never. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys were willing to bang on trash cans and do a bunch of crazy stuff with the video. Maybe they are, they're behind the coronavirus altogether. But uh, you know, <laughs> t- tongue in cheek, obviously, I don't think that's a deep conspiracy theory, theorist, uh, theory but, um, but in all honesty, I would agree with you. I mean, the less media exposure and the sooner we can get into the season and all that stuff, obviously the better, the better off we're all going to be. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, that's probably enough about that. I will say this plumber. I did. Uh, I, I do have some, uh, anyway, I got some mailbag questions. Oh, you do. I was able to, I was able to pull them up, but I didn't uh, want you to, I didn't we, want to put you on the spot. No, that's what I thought. But if we don't want to get into them, we don't have to. Um, we do have, like you said, uh, some other sponsors. We have a new uh, intro music that's laid down by a, a band a friend of mine, Marlon and the Shakes. And so they're going to work on some intro voiceovers as well. But if you guys like the new music, check out Marlon and the Shakes. They're on iTunes and uh, Spotify and everywhere else you can get your music. So we're going to lay down that track, I believe, as we uh, as we. I'm going to get that out there. Moving forward. Actually, yeah, you texted it to me last night. I listened to it. The family got a preview of it. So I think I'm going to try and lay it down with the current voiceover that we have and get it out there. So uh, make sure you get at uh, Real David Tuttle to let him know what you think of it and at Blummer27 on Twitter and let us know what you think about the new intro music. Yeah. All right. So should we uh, should we get into the mailbag a little bit? Yeah, go for it. Should we skip it till next time? All right. So let's see what I have here. I have one from Shannon W., uh, it says, Jeff Blum and David Tuttle, hi, I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning, and I don't think you have covered this, but I was wondering what it was like for players to switch from using aluminum bats to wood bats. I thought that was a fairly uh, interesting question. Um, basically, it says, is it a difficult transition? How do you establish your equipment choices, for example, using gloves or not using gloves? I'm assuming that means batting gloves, weight, length of the bat, grip tape. Does it affect your swing, or is it easy to adjust i thoroughly enjoy the podcast thank for thank you for all the shout outs to first responders we appreciate it shannon w so there you go that's our first one of the day and i just want to say not being a hitter blummer um you know my, as we've talked about my daughter now using an aluminum bat and everyone's talking about using a light bat and getting a swing um you know from an aluminum bat perspective if you actually have aspirations of playing at a higher level 
Um, I suggest high school kids, college kids use a wood bat like off the tee and learn how to really strengthen the wrist and use the wood bat. It's definitely a different feel and use it almost as a tool. But, you know, if they're letting you use aluminum bats right in a game like situation, then take advantage of that. And, you know, your, your swing will be better for it. So that's the pitcher's two cents on what on what to do from a wood bat to a uh, aluminum bat as you are at, at higher levels. But obviously that uh, that email was uh, directed at you. So I'd be curious. Yeah, but I've actually got a question for you when I get done spewing a little bit of my information right here is that when I did exactly what David Tuttle said, I had a wood bat, I made my dad go buy me one and I used it in the batting cage, I used it off the tee. And the biggest difference between when I was using aluminum bat and when uh, I was using a wood bat was is that the sweet spot is minuscule compared to what it is on an on, a, on an aluminum bat, or if you're in Australia, they called it aluminium. But uh, the the <laughs> the aluminum bat has a lot more forgiveness as far as sweet spot. You can miss the sweet spot, hit it off the label. It's not going to break your bat. You still might be able to get a hit out of it, uh, but. When you use a wood bat, it definitely lessens the sweet spot. You have to be a little more particular in where you try and make contact with the baseball. Because if you don't, you're going to get jammed and you're going to break your bat. So when you're a young hitter and you're learning how to use a wood bat, the last thing you want to do is break it because then you've got to go spend another 50 to $75 to go buy a new bat. So you get really self-conscious about how do I get the barrel to the baseball? And I think that makes you a better hitter. And I think that's a good thing. But there is a huge transition because the comfort level from going aluminum to wood changes a lot. The grips are different, but you can see that guys are actually have, uh, I think it's called lizard skin that they put on it now that actually gives it a little more of an aluminum back grip so you don't so you get that tackiness because that was probably the hardest part is I use batting gloves for both aluminum and for wood but it was the batting gloves that were the same but it was how do I keep my grip on that bat so I use pine tar I use rosin I use Manny Moda stick there were ways that I had to create that tack to keep my hands on the bat that was probably the hardest thing I had to do but that's from the hitter's side. I, I highly recommend doing it, but not in a game. Because if you get better at using the, so, the sweet spot on a wood bat, imagine how much better you'll be when you get to the aluminum bat and you get the barrel to it consistently and get a little more ball flight out of it. But for Tuttle, you pitched against some high-velocity uh, aluminum bats, and then you went to the minor leagues and pitched to guys that had wood bats, and you understood with your sinker, I would imagine, that you were able to get inside and maybe break a couple of bats or create softer contact. Did you pitch any differently to aluminum than you did wood? Um, you know, not really. And I think part of that has to do with the, the skill of the hitter. I mean, and you know this too, as you creep up towards the big leagues, um, the skill of the hitter uh, increases exponentially. So yeah. maybe in college, you know, each team in college had, you know, two or three, um, two, it's starting to rain here. Hold on one second. Let me mute this. Uh, rain delay. We're first bleacher blums rain delay. I love it. <laughs> Total in full panic mode. Yeah. So play by play. First rain. Hey dude, that was a first yeah. rain delay. Yeah, first rain delay on a podcast. What do you know? <laughs> So I had my windows down, so I'm not going to fog up the windows while I'm blabbing away on the podcast and uh, it started to rain a little bit. <laughs> going to get wet here. So um, anyway, yeah, so to your point, I mean, that doesn't mean I wasn't, you know, frightened that, you know, we faced Cal or Stanford or any of those teams, but.
Yeah, yeah, great. So, I mean, obviously the the hitters are are a little bit. Um, so, wood bat and aluminum bat, I threw the same. That was my that was my overarching point. I know we had a rain delay, so sorry, folks. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I felt like I went with my strength. You know, you hear that a lot, right? The coach is going to say, "All right, we're going to strategize here." Uh, this guy has, you know, this guy likes the ball away. This guy likes the ball in. I think the point I was making while my mic was muted was that um, it was very similar in the steroid era. And unfortunately, in the steroid era, guys were tougher and, you know, the testosterone was there. They'd stand right on the top of the plate. And if you threw inside to brush them back, they would kind of grin at you and their gold tooth would, you know, ping, you know, would reflect out there. <laughs> and they would just get right on the plate and mash the ball that was middle or to middle away. And I know a lot of analysts have said that about aluminum bats, like, you know, guys don't throw inside, but I felt like I needed both sides of the plate and my strength was a good hard sinker. And so I would go, I would go in hard and, you know, soft away as often as I could, regardless of what kind of uh, implement or utensil or, uh, or, or bat the guy was holding. Good stuff. You right. got any more mailbag okay. for us? I do. I do. And I'm sorry about the, you know, like I said, we're working through these technical difficulties, folks. So hopefully uh, the editing's not too tough on you, Blummer. I'm um, down for it. All right, here we go. Dave B. Uh, so Dave B says, listen to the latest episode today while working out. Great job again. Keep them coming. My questions, huh, my questions is about the fun antics in spring training. I saw the video of Caleb Joseph playing air guitar. Uh, air drum. Sorry. What was the craziest thing you guys had to do in spring training? Enjoying the podcast from here in Laguna Niguel. Nice. He's in, uh, he's in my neighborhood. Local boy. Yeah. Well, um, the, the, the I don't think we can I... say the craziest thing. <laughs> I mean, I can't. So. Uh, no, we had plenty of good stuff. It all depends on the manager too. The manager, I, the, the best one I had was when I was with the San Diego Padres. I think it was Bruce Bochy or Bud Black. I can't remember which one, but we actually had, it was right in the, you know, the beginning stages of American Idol. So we called it Padre Idol. And we would actually encourage, uh, not force or haze, but we would encourage the rookies in camp to come up with an act of some kind. And we had three judges and we would judge them and have them move on, rag them. And it was highly entertaining, but it did a good job of taking up the bulk portion of the mornings so that we didn't have to get on the field. But we could also, it created also a great environment of camaraderie and the ability to go out there and kind of rag on each other, have a good time, be entertained at the same time. And I think that's what most clubhouses do now in spring training. It's a little more of a family feel, like a family talent show that they've got going on. I know that A.J. Hinch was very good at finding out secretly what guy's secret talents were. And he would actually um, uh, bring together veterans and rookies. So he would ask Brad Peacock, for instance, he's like, hey, you got a boat. You like to fish, right? You got a boat down here in West Palm where I think Brad Peacock is relatively close to. And Brad would be like, yeah. And he would say, you know what? Alex Degote never been on a boat. Take him. And that's how they would do it and, and initiate yeah. that process. So I thought it was pretty cool that they would try and, you know, bring together the old and the new and uh, create that kind of environment and open up that clubhouse to create a little more of a family atmosphere. That was a lot of fun. Did they do like report back? So AJ sets his oh, yeah. up. It's like one day and then, all right, Alex, you know, what was your experience on mm -hmm. Brad's boat? And then the, it was almost like story time with uh, newbie and oldie. Yep. No, that's exactly what it was. And I actually think that's that uh, AJ took it to the the social media level and maybe forced them or asked them, you know, you got to post at least one video or one picture while you're out nice. on the water. But they would definitely come back and report on how the day went. 
That's awesome. That sounds great. I, I mean, I, you know, I, a couple of big league camps and the minor leagues, as you know, there's about 120 guys and all the clubhouses are really separate. The couple of big league camps I went to, um, yeah, we, we definitely had those kind of things. I, I don't know if we would call it, uh, you know, family style and bonding. A lot of it was hazing and I usually got, <laughs> I usually left before uh, most of it happened. The one that I remember very specifically with the Diamondbacks and uh, the players will remain nameless, but um, there was the physical day where everybody mm. had the physical and they used to mess with the MAs and the medical assistants that came in there. And, oh, man, that would not go well now in today's day and age. And that's all I can say. It was really it was all in good fun. And most of it was fun. And everybody in there had a good time. Um, I know uh, one year was it Mark Grace. No, not Mark Grace. Somebody had a karaoke machine. That was a good one. And they would just <laughs> so they would like, hey, you know, newbie, rookie, you got to get up here and sing something. But for the most part, there were a couple of dudes that would just get in there. They would just get up and sing all the time. That's I mean, awesome. You know, yeah, that was great. I mean, how funny is that to just, you know, uh, you know, have a guy just grab the microphone and start saying uh, Turner Ward was one that I could remember. Turner Ward is a piece of work. He would yep. grab that microphone and get going. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there was always a fun, fun, you know, fun stuff going on in there. But I, I think the open mic karaoke was uh, was a pretty regular thing. I know with the Diamondbacks camps over the couple of years. Very cool. All right, so Blummer, let me uh, let me look for one more email. I think I got this one's kind of for me, and it's not great, but I thought since I finally got an email, it might be worth uh, you know at least showing everybody out there that somebody's interested. So I got. Um, let's see, where is it? Oh, here it is. So uh, from Joe T. Joe T says hi, Blummer and Tuttle. I have a couple questions for Dave. How about that? My name is Joe from El Paso. I did play double A in El Paso. I think he reached out to me and said, did you play in El Paso? And I said, yes, that might've been me, depending on why you're asking. You're making friends. Um, yeah, yeah. He said, Dave, what was your favorite restaurant to, to eat at when you played for the El Paso Diablos? Did you try Chico's Tacos? And if so, did you enjoy it? Um, also, have you visited El Paso recently? If so, have you been to a Chihuahuas game? So no to both of those. I actually can't remember if I went, well, no to the Chihuahuas game. Um, I don't know if I tried Chico's Tacos. It sounds like Joe has a vested interest, though. So I will say, anybody, if you go to El Paso, go to Chico's Tacos, because <laughs> Joe T. Joe T. sounds like he has a vested interest. I don't know if he's the owner or not, but uh, anyway. I, I, I'm obviously joking. I don't remember Chico's Tacos. Um, I do not want to say how many years ago it was that I played Double in El Paso. <laughs> Double A in El Paso was like 1997, 98. No, I don't know. Like, yeah, we're, it was pre 2000. So uh, I don't recall eating there, but uh, there, you know, there was a lot to do in El Paso. Um, the thing I remember mostly was uh, going to Juarez, which is similar to going to Tijuana from San Diego. And it's something that you probably wouldn't want to do now. You know, as a 24, 25 <laughs> year old guy, I was like, hey, let's go to Juarez. We had a day off. Like, all right. Now I'm not sure we would do it, but, uh, El Paso is a really heavy uh, military town and, uh, and a really great place to play. And I would say that out of all, all the kind of double A places I played, because there's not a ton to do in El Paso and it's very uh, spread out that we got, we got a huge following. I mean, it was, it was as, you know, it was as good as some of the other, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, minor league environments that I've ever been in, it was as good as any. I mean, we would get three or 4,000 people a night. They treated us well, um, and it was a great experience. So I don't know if, you, if you've if you ever been to El Paso, Blumer. 
Yeah, you know what's crazy is that uh, baseball has taken me to Japan, Australia, and obviously through Canada <laughs> and North America. I have never, ever been in the state of New Mexico, ever. Hmm. And I've never been to El Paso other than driving through. The only thing I've got about El Paso is right on that border is when my brother and I were driving. My brother came out to drive with me from Florida to uh to California, and the only reason I ever stopped in El Paso is because we blew a, f a battery on my car as we were driving across, and I had to spend an extra maybe two hours in El Paso, and that was it. So that was really the extent of my time in El Paso was about the same as it was in New Mexico as far as driving across the state. That was it. Two hours. That's all it took me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know, know if I've said this on the podcast before, but you and I both have driven across the country a few times, uh, having spring training in Florida and wanting your car and all that. But leaving the season, I remember I got traded from the Reds to the Tigers, and somehow I ended up finishing the season in Lakeland, Florida. And that first day, you go like Florida, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas in one day. It's a good 10 hours, 11 hours, <laughs> but you're like, yes, I just knocked out five states. And then the next day, like 13 hours later, you're like limping into El Paso. Oh, like, it's the worst. That's a long day. That's a yep. long day in Texas, my friend. Yeah, Texas yeah, so is the never-ending drive. That's all right. That's all I got for the mailbag. I want. I do want to give a, a shout-out to, again, Crush City Tees. Um, they're putting out a couple T-shirts for – I don't have a read, but they're putting out a couple T-shirts for St. Patrick's Day. Um, wallpaper Wednesdays coming up tomorrow. Um, I don't know if anybody's getting on that. I like that. Um, we have a nice green tea with a shamrock that I, I got sent. That looks great. And I believe he's secured the domain for the H for the nice. H.com. So that's, uh, that's crush city teas, uh, an affiliate or an offshoot of, uh, Ram shirts. So you can go to ramshirts.com, crushcitytees.com, And of course, bleacherblums.com to get your merchandise. That, uh, that did do a great job uh, purchasing and I believe, or uh, manufacturing, excuse me. And if you do purchase two T-shirts, you can get a, a, a pin free or a button free that has a Bleacher Blums logo on it as well. So I know we haven't put out a podcast in a while, but there's plenty of stuff brewing. And I want to make sure we gave a shout out to Crush City Tees. And I, like I said, I think you can go to ForTheH.com. I'll double check that. But ForTheH.com is, a, is a, another website affiliate, uh, affiliated with uh, Crush Cities. Yeah, you are. You're right. They've done a very good job. And you're correct about the Shamrock T-shirt coming out for St. Patty's Day is going to be awesome. There's a couple of T-shirts in the works, but uh, I've actually perused the website a little bit. And if you're a hardcore Houston Astro fan, <laughs> you, you may want to go to CrushCityTees.com and see if you can pick up a couple of their t-shirts because there's some interesting ones out there to combat some of the negativity that is around the Houston Astros if you need to make a statement. So crushcitytees.com or for the h.com to go get those Astros t-shirts. And on the news of the Houston Astros, just a quick a couple of sound bites about them boo, is boo. Yeah. No, no, I'm kidding. So <laughs> you got to do that the entire that. time. <laughs> that would be All very right. authentic. Yeah, um sorry. But uh, some real actual baseball news coming out of Astros camp. Uh, I know a lot of you have been watching and keeping up to date with them, but the two big stories coming out of there, the one that really jumped at me was Jordan Alvarez hasn't played because of his knees. Uh, it's a little intriguing to me because he is a relatively young man, and I didn't know knees were such an issue. I thought he took care of that 
in the offseason and would have shown up in a little bit better shape. So there is concern for me regarding Jordan Alvarez because I thought for sure he'd be inked in as the DH for the rest of uh, the season to see what he could do in a full season. So actually with his knees creating an issue, he may be questionable for opening day, which would be a huge downer for the offense, even though they are pretty deep as far as that's concerned. And on the pitching side, it, Justin Verlander has a little, little bit of a lat strain, I think it is, and he doesn't seem concerned, but he doesn't seem optimistic about making it for opening day. I wonder how long that'll push him back uh, in order to get right. Those lat strains, uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, David, but with the velocity that these guys are throwing at, the lat is more of a decelerating muscle uh, in stopping the arm and the recoil on the arm I'm, puts a lot of stress on there. And we obviously know that guys these days are very heavy on the velocity and that lat muscle takes a lot of uh, stress and it's bugging him a little bit. Am I wrong in uh, assuming that it's a decelerating uh, muscle, that lat muscle? No, you're not wrong at all. I mean, you know, obviously all the muscles kind of work in conjunction, but for the most part, yeah, it's an extension and a, and a, as you oh, said, there you go. almost a recoil. Yeah, it's a decelerator and a, an extension muscle. But I think like any injury that's kind of, um, I don't know if it's annoying or nitpicky, but man, I mean, if it was his left lat, we might be yeah. talking about something different, right? Because it's his front side. But yeah, when it's anything on the arm that you're using to throw, you know, a ball 95, 96 miles an hour. I mean, that thing has got to be healed up and, and organized and tight and, you know, kind of back to normal before you can really start building it up again. And so, um, you know, both those, both those injuries are a little bit of a concern, I'm sure for the Astros, I, I think from afar, and I say a lot of things tongue in cheek is, you know, I mean, Jordan, you and I ran into him last year at the mall when we were doing a podcast. I mean, he's, he's an old young or a young old, however you want to say it. I mean, he, he's got that LeBron look to him. So yeah. I don't know if he's 22 or 23 or, you know, 32 or 33, but, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's got to stay healthy and he's got to kind of be a big bopper in the middle of that lineup to kind of make everything go. And so hopefully it is just a, you know, a spring training injury. I said it in air quotes, we've talked about spring mm -hmm. training extensively yeah. on this podcast before. It's kind of like, yeah, my knee's not feeling so great. I think I'm going to, you know, I'll, you know, I'll take an ice bath over here and get it worked on. I should be good to go by opening day. But it sounds, you know, I know you're not allowed in the clubhouse, but based on your inside info, it might be a little more serious than that. Yeah, hopefully it isn't. Hopefully we get surprised and he gets the right amount of treatment. He's able to bounce back and get on the field. But that's going to do it for me as far as the uh, Astro spring training. I know that they are kind of going through it a little bit. It's that middle part of spring training where you kind of hit that dead body, dead arm, and you kind of you, you, you want to get the game going. Guys have about 20, 30 at-bats under their belt, and they're starting to see the bat ball well. They're starting to get their foot down. The pitching looks great for the Astros. Hitting is always going to be a little bit behind, but I think it's more because these guys pace themselves to get ready for for the regular season. So I would imagine by the time the regular season starts, these guys are ready to go. And I don't have anything else on spring training. I'm not sure if Tuttle wants to hit on any of this stuff. Do you do you care to get to it? Because I know what I want to get to. Oh, I know what you want to get to. We'll get to that shortly. I, I will just add that, you know, I think we've said this for the last three or four podcasts. And I know we took a, an extra week off, but, uh, you know, it's, not, it's time for the season to start. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, with the coronavirus, we don't really want to talk about that a whole lot. But I know the South by Southwest Music Festival was canceled. There's, uh, you know, Serie A or Serie A soccer in Italy is canceled. So it'll be really interesting to see if they play some games in front of empty stadiums or if they're able to quarantine this and kind of not have it, uh, you know, not have it really affect the season. But I think to your point, less media in the clubhouse for the Astros and, and all teams in general. 
and just getting the season uh, fired up and underway is kind of what we're all looking for. Yeah, and hopefully by the time the season does roll around, we have more answers around the coronavirus and what we're able to do because I think it would be severely disappointing for both fans and teams if they had to play in front of some empty stadiums. And obviously, the owners take a hit in that sense because you're not selling concessions, and that's what it's all about. But it is time <laughs> now for all of you to get your popcorn, get your soda, sit down, grab your AirPods, and listen up because it is time for What'll Tuttle Say? Awesome. Hey, uh, so it's been a couple of weeks, so I actually have two little public studies. One of them just hit me on the way down to do this podcast, and, and I will uh, relay that now I'm in an office. I've been working from home for a couple of years, and uh, you know I get to interact with more lovely folks out there, hopefully more podcast listeners. But uh, I mentioned this to you off air, but coming down, the uh, there's a couple of escalators, and I typically just take the stairs, but I was hustling out to uh, to get on this call. And uh, there was a guy standing in the middle of the escalator looking at his phone and that thing was going so slow. And I wanted to, I needed a horn or like I wanted to tap him on the shoulder, like, eh, eh, you know, and it reminded me of this old cartoon with a guy standing on an escalator and it stopped moving and he's stuck there and he's like calls into work, says, hey, I'm going to be late. The escalator broke. And I just thought, <laughs> man, like <laughs> it's a moving staircase, people. We can walk up and down it. We can, you know, use it to get off to the side. But, uh, Get off to the side. Like, this is the emotional intelligence or the on-court awareness that we've discussed on Weddle Tuttle Say. So <laughs> that, that's, a little, that's a little bonus Weddle Tuttle Say. So the real Weddle Tuttle Say, uh, my dad happened to be a Boston Celtics fan back in the day. And so the Weddle Tuttle Say is a pirated story from a, a, a sports broadcast I listened to last week, maybe. Um, Rick Carlisle, who's the uh, head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Jim Carrey lookalike as well, except he's much, much taller. Uh, was on the Dan Patrick show. And um, so anybody that listens to that may have heard the story, but I've heard the story before and it cracked me up. So I just want to share the Weddle Tuttle uh, story of the day. My dad would have appreciated this a lot. Big Boston Celtics fan. So you may or may not know this blummer, but I think Rick Carlisle was the 10th or 11th or 12th guy on the the uh, vaunted Celtics teams of the 80s. So they had Danny Ainge and Dennis Johnson and uh, Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale and, of course, Larry Bird, Larry the Legend. And uh, Rick Carlisle was kind of filling out the bench over there, and they, they were hit, uh, coached by Casey, uh, Casey Jones. And Rick Carlisle was telling the story, and he's like, man, I haven't, you know, he, I haven't been in the game in a couple weeks, but uh, he's just kind of, you know, kicking it back down. And they were up 10 or 12 points, and Casey Jones decided to give Danny Ainge. He's like, Danny, Danny, you're going to take a break. So, Carlisle pull or Carlisle, they're like, you know, you. He points down to the bench. You're, you're in, you're in. And he comes down into the huddle and they pull out the old what we always see, right? They're on the chairs and he's drawing out the thing. And so, so you got Casey, uh, Casey Jones goes, all right, uh, yeah, Robert Parrish, like R. He puts a little R on the board. He's like, all right, here's the R. Like Robert, you're there, right? Mikhail, Kevin, Kevin, you're K right here, like that. And he's like drawn on the little thing, and he goes, Larry. Larry, you're over on the wing here. L just puts an L for Larry. And uh, and then DJ, he goes, DJ, you're over here. Now, Ainge, you're out. And he goes, and he looks in the huddle and he goes, and he goes, you, and he writes a squiggly right there, a squiggly. He goes, you, you. So he's got Larry and Robert. He's like, uh, yeah, you. And he writes a squiggly on the, t he's like, you're moving this way. So they finish the huddle. They finish the whole thing. Like, all right, let's go. Let's go get him. And Larry walks right up to the coach, Casey, and he goes, 
Hey, Casey, this is Rick Carla. I want you to meet Rick Carla. Rick, meet Casey. <laughs> this is in-game situation. I'm sure he just brain farted, but basically Rick Carla hasn't played in two weeks. He comes down and he's going through the whole deal, right? All right, L, this is you, Larry, and R, this is you. You? All right, you're squiggly over here. You're squiggly, like, yeah. So Larry introduced him, and that was one of his favorite Larry Bird stories. And it cracked me up, and I just thought, you know what? In honor of my dad and uh, the fact that he was a huge Celtics fan, he would have really appreciated that story. So I hope you guys get some some enjoyment out of that Waddle Tuttle say for some levity in this uh, in this serious quarantine coronavirus time. And that's all I got, Blummer and Blummer, coming up next. Should we throw it back to you? Uh, but let me tell a quick story about it. I had a similar situation oh, yeah. in, okay. in a dugout. And I believe it was 2008. Cecil Cooper was the manager, and we had a we had a bench of Darren Erstead, Mike, uh, Mark Loretta, Brad Osmus, myself, Jose Cruz Jr., and uh, Dave Newhan. And this is your bench. This is our bench. Like, we had like all guys. I didn't know <laughs> these guys. I I actually know New Newhan pretty well too. Newhan. He's a great dude. But yeah, he, it's so funny. He, but his last name is New Han, N-E-W-H-A-N. And we get about halfway through the season, and Cecil Cooper pops up and starts screaming down the end of the bench, give me that Newman, Newman, get a bat, Newman. And, I mean, there's no movement at the end of the dugout. We're all kind of sitting there going, what? We got a new guy on the – who? When yeah, did we sign Newman? Who's Newman? You know, then we start making Seinfeld jokes. We're like, hello, Newman. You know, we start popping off and Cecil's getting pissed. And I think, I, I can't remember if it was Loretta or Osmus. He goes, hey, Coop, his name is Newhan. And I mean, we just <laughs> lost it like for the rest of the season. You know who couldn't shake the last name Newman? Dave uh, Newhan. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on, Newman. You know, so I mean, dude, I mean, just get, just an ounce of effort would give you just a yeah. little more insight to who's on your team because there's nothing worse than being called by the wrong name, man. No, you're a big league ball player, right? I mean, he didn't even get Rick Carlisle. I mean, he didn't get the first name, the last name, the nickname. He got none of it. And like you said, show me some respect. And I think what's what else is funny is, you know, if you mispronounce my last name or your last name, but like Newhan and Newman, like Newman. Like, where's the new man? Like, did they call him up in the, you know, triple A? Like, you could actually not be a jerk and just go, who's he? I think he wants new hand, but it's not new hand. You know, I, no. I, I, I get it. Like, yeah, that's great. It was bad. Yeah. So that's all I got. Now we can move on. All Sorry. Right. No, that's all right. I just want to make sure I throw it back to Blum and Blummer. You always set me up so well. And I'm just like, all right, I think we're going to do Blum and Blummer. But uh, I know <laughs> we've had a couple weeks off. And so. I'm sure uh, Lloyd and Harry have some stuff to say about the uh, the Blum and Blummer segment, so I'll throw it to them. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. And for Blum and Blummer, I was actually very appreciative of, of a guy named Doug Glanville. Played against him, a contemporary. Now he works with ESPN as a Major League Baseball analyst. But he just came out with an article that is titled, I played clean in the steroid era, and PEDs hurt players more than sign stealing does. And I'm not sure how many of you at home have actually been able to catch some of the podcasts, some of the interviews, some of the radio that I've done throughout the course of the uh, offseason regarding the sign stealing. And I also played through the PED era, PED era. 
and I played it clean. Uh, David Tuttle played it clean, so he might be able to jump in on this a little bit. But I thoroughly appreciated the fact that he said that because I remember vividly, I went on a Scott and BR who were down in San Diego. I went on their podcast and they said, what would you rather, if you were a pitcher, what would you rather face? And I said, I would rather face a guy who knows what's coming. Because if you're facing a guy with PEDs, on average, the ball would fly about another 20% further. So add another 20, 30 feet to every ball that that guy hits. So if he hits warning track shots, those are now bombs. If he gets bloopers that are hit to the shortstop, they're now base hits. If he hits them, uh, you know, low line drives that are usually caught, now they're over the head of the outfielders. So I, I firmly believe that PEDs were actually worse to deal with or made it more unfair. And he did a great job on ESPN.com. Doug Glanville wrote an article regarding PEDs hurt more than sign stealing, but he took it to another level. And obviously he's much smarter than I am. I think he's a Penn grad or an Ivy leaguer. And he really articulated the point that it hurts more players in the steroid era because the way you're evaluated, and he brought up these data points, you're, you're evaluated as far as your contract status on productivity, service time, and your position. And he brought up the fact that when the Astros are sign stealing, they're sign stealing as a team. It benefits a unit. It, does, you know, it doesn't benefit the center fielder only. It benefits the entire team. And I think outside of the cheating club center fielder is what he's trying to tell you of the sign stealing, it does not elevate the entire position throughout the league. So it's one team, whereas PEDs affected all teams, all positions, but at varying differences, difference of depth. So if I was a shortstop, I was negotiating against 29 other shortstops and the market value, if they were all Alex Rodriguez was elevated and I couldn't compete at that. And I don't know how many people at home realize this, but I played 14 years, 12 years on one-year contracts. And he actually articulated the point with those data points in comparison to guys who were using PEDs. It really kind of drove home the fact maybe that's why I only got one-year contracts is because I wasn't putting up steroid-type numbers at the market level that I wanted to compete at. So what I had to do is I had to adjust to my atmosphere and I had to adjust uh, you know, to one-year contracts. I had to adjust to being a utility guy. I had to present something that was different than those guys who were on the steroids. I had enough pop to hit the home run, but I was athletic enough to play four positions at a minimum, which was different than some guys. It didn't pay well, but it offered me an opportunity to get 14 years in the big leagues. And one thing he also brings out in that situation is that hitters like myself and like Doug Glanville, who are doing it clean, we were facing pitchers that were all juiced up too. So I love the fact that he actually did a great job. And I encourage everybody to go read this article because he'll put it in a little bit cleaner terms. But I have always felt that the PED situation was wor is worse than sign stealing because of that fact that each guy, it affected the market, it affected the value as a human being, it affected the contracts. So that also you know, goes into a hitter and a pitcher who pitchers face the juice guys, hitters face the juice pitchers. But I also wanted to try and find, you know, a metaphor or an analogy that could help everybody understand. And if Tuttle and I were face to face in a fist fight and I, I have a really good right hook, but Tuttle knew I when I was going to throw the right hook, I had a left hook, left cross uppercuts. I had other punches that I could go to to keep him off balance. But every time I threw that right cross, he'd be ready for it and block it. So I still had an opportunity to knock him out. Now, would I rather face that guy 
or would I rather face a David Tuttle who's been doing a year's worth of steroids and is now 20 to 30% stronger than I was? And all it took was one punch to knock me out. You know, that's how I kind of, you know, draw the equivalent. That's where I would rather face the guy who knew I had the right hook because I could mix things up a little bit and maybe, you know, survive the fight as opposed to being worried about one punch knocking me out of the game. But that's just kind of my blum and blummer. I've always felt that PEDs have been worse than sign stealing. And I really appreciate the fact that Doug Glanville broke it down in the way he did in that article to help me explain how I've been feeling for a while now. Dude, that's awesome. You know, I, I know we get along well in general, but I didn't know you felt that way. And I, I've never been able to articulate it either. I told you I've had family members that knew, um, you know, that I didn't take steroids and that I played it clean and that there were guys that were I was competing against in spring training, especially that were juiced up. And, and you know, I, you articulated that really well or Doug articulated that really well. Yeah, he's a, a Penn graduate. So University of Pennsylvania, which is Ivy League. Ivy League. And so. I think, like you said, maybe that that creates some validity. But uh, when you take what you just said and extrapolate that out now, too, in the minor league. So, yeah, you and Doug played it clean and you were a utility guy and you played on a bunch of one year contracts. Put it in my spot where, OK, there's going to be 12 or 13 pitchers on a big league staff and I'm a triple A like fringe big league, double A, triple A guy. There's about 25 or 30 guys fighting for those spots. If five or six of those guys are juiced. And those are the guys that either take up that 12th or 13th spot and then take up two or three spots in AAA. It just keeps hammering that stuff down. And so I, I think what you just said to me, first of all, gives me confidence that we're aligned in our views regarding that. Maybe, like I said, that's how we found each other to uh, to be able to do the podcast. But I think it, it kind of just, again, it highlights the fact that, um, that the steroid era, for sure, um, probably... Uh, hindered a lot of folks, especially the folks that played it clean from uh, maybe achieving their dreams. And it's, it's a little bit disappointing. And to kind of bring it back to what your the point of the blum and blummer was, was, you know, let's, let's, let's not blow this out of proportion, what the sign stealing meant and what the sign stealing was for baseball. And, you know, we've, we've attached some articles before, and I sent you the one about, you know, cheating started in baseball back in 1883 or whatever. And it's just kind of continued to, uh, you know, you're always trying to gain an edge, but, but I would agree. I mean, like you said, there can be strategies. Uh, we saw Matt, uh, Matt LaCroix and a couple of pitchers for the A's, right. Trying to figure out, and they were changing signs all the time. And they were, there was a way to combat that. Like, hook, I know they have a left hook. There's a way to combat this. We're going to change signs every pitch. We're going to do this. Whereas, like you said, if the guy's 30% stronger, he's throwing the ball 30% harder than he was the last time you faced him you're at a huge disadvantage and you're really, you know, you're really, um, I don't know, you're, you're putting the fairness or the sense of fairness way more out of whack than, you know, trying to steal signs. I think you actually brought up a great point as far as, you know, Jonathan Lucroy catching with the angels, catching with the athletics. Oh, Is he actually, yeah. or, uh, you know, he did a very good job. He adjusted to the situation. You know, I think there's two sides to that because the nationals adjusted their signs when they were giving them, you know, the other teams made the adjustment. If you're going to sit there like a bowl singer, the pitcher who's going to sue everybody on the planet because he got raped, you know, isn't there a little bit of culpability or responsibility on his part to change the signs, pitch better and work with his catcher to 
change those signs up. That's what nobody really talks about. They're just like, the Astros knew everything that was coming. Boo on them. It's all their fault. But you just articulated a great point in saying that the other team actually has the opportunity to adjust and maybe use the system against the Astros so they don't know what's going on. Mix up the signs. Use multiple signs. Get tricky. Find a way. And that's where I feel like on the PED side, what was I supposed to do? I either stayed clean or I did steroids. There were really only other two other options, you know, it, and I just felt that I did not want to go down the PED road because I didn't know if it was going to help or hinder my career. And I wanted to be able to be on this podcast and say, hey, man, I played it clean. I want to be able to go in and tell my daughters, you know, dad, did you play in the steroid area? Yeah. What did that mean? And now I can explain to them that I, this is what it meant. But dad didn't do it. You know, there yeah. was a little bit of integrity involved in that situation. But there has to be something on the other side of sign stealing. If you're, you know, that's like saying I keep getting robbed at home. Wouldn't I change the locks on my doors or wouldn't I right. fortify my house? That's what is, that's what I don't believe in that bull singer. Uh, I almost said something else. Bull singer yeah. uh, lawsuit. You know, there has to be bull some accountability. BS. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. You're about ready to fire that one out there. I know. Hey, let me, let me just say, because I know you well enough, like you're not justifying it. You're not saying the sign stealing's fair and that the other team should have adjusted. The point was we're talking about what's worse, right? PEDs or yep, sign stealing. There is some sort of, like you said, counter uh, counterinsurgency to sign stealing. And some guys figured it out, like you said, Jonathan LaCroix and some teams that knew it was coming. They figured out a way to do that, uh, to go about it. when they thought baseball was doing nothing about the sign stealing. Whereas with PEDs, there is nothing you can do about it. Now, both of them are wrong and both of them um, should be punished and were punished in their own time. But uh, I, I just wanted to clarify, you're not saying that science stealing should be allowed, you know, that the, it's the other team's fault. But like you said, I think the point was that PDs were certainly much worse for the game. And, and you know, like I said, it's near and dear to my heart. I've never thought of a way to articulate it. But certainly um, I feel like my my opportunities and my chances were uh, were diminished because of the guys that I was competing against in spring training. Yep. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes, I, I understand that what the Astros did was wrong. They did go too far. They are punished for it. But there are ways to try and combat that, even though you know what's going on. And I think we did a solid job. I know you got to get back to work, buddy. But how was uh, the podcast for you? And you got any parting words? Um, a couple. Yeah. So I thought the podcast was great. I know there was a few warbles in there. We're looking for a good, uh, good cell tower to, to sit on. And I'll, I'll make that better next time. But I think we got some sponsors out there. Um, and got their got the word in and the word out, I should say, and uh, and it's so good to be back with you. I know we've been texting and chatting and trying to figure out a new schedule, but uh, I think this should be able to work. We should be able to get together once a week and and throw down. It's a good outlet. It is a good outlet, and we appreciate everybody being patient with us and sticking with us because we are going to stick with you no matter what. All the responses on Twitter, we get it. We want to be on. We want to be with you, and we are coming at you. We'll make the adjustments, and that's what baseball is. It's a game of adjustments, just like this podcast is. And, of course, with us parting uh, today, we are going to just give all of our uh, heartfelt love and uh, prayers out to those on the front lines, whether it be the coronavirus or whether it be a war overseas or dealing with things right here at home. We appreciate all first responders and all military who go out there in harm's way and try and make life a little bit better and a little bit safer for us on a daily basis. We greatly appreciate you and everything you bring to Bleacher Blums and the United States of America. And with that being said, 
I think all Tuttle and I want you to do right now is get after it and believe it. 